Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. In our minds, today is uh, Christmas Sunday. Now, I know next Sunday will be literally Christmas Sunday. But I know that many of you will be with your families. I hope you'll come to church next week. We're going to have a one-hour, 11 o'clock service. And I hope you will be here. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have fun in church. Of course, we Pentecostals, we we pretty much have fun anyway, don't we? But we're going to bring the children down here. We're going to sing some fun songs with them. So if you get Frosty or Rudolph next Sunday, don't send me any letters, because you're a you're a Grinch. Don't send me any letters. We're going to let the children have a little fun. It's Christmas morning. And then we're going to let them have a little fun, and then we're going to have we're going to we're going to read the Christmas story in the Bible, and then we're going to talk about Jesus and really what Christmas is all about. We're going to sing hymns. We're going to sing songs of the Lord. It's just going to make for a great Christmas morning, and then you can go home and have lunch and do whatever you want the rest of the day and eat turkey and sleep for two hours because turkey makes you sleepy. Whatever you want to do, but I hope you'll be here. But today. Uh, I'll preach a short message next week, but today I wanted to really preach what I know call a Christmas message. And so Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul wrote this, and I want to begin at verse 1. He said, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. But he's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we... When we were children, now this is a metaphor, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Here's the Christmas story. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, obviously, ladies, just insert daughter there. So if you're a son or a daughter, then you're an heir of God through Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to the word? Hallelujah. All right, you can be seated this morning. I've had the joy to raise two sons, and now I have four grandchildren, and in a matter of uh, a couple weeks, I'm going to have a fifth, a granddaughter, and I'm ruined, I'm told. So I know a little bit about raising children, and one thing I know that is very fundamental about child rearing is that good parents raise their children with good rules. You have rules in the house. Now, Barrett loves to come over. My kids, when they, my grandkids, when they come over, um, they, I tell them, you're at Disney World. That's my little saying to them. Papa's house is Disney World, and they think it is. And they can go in the pantry and get what they want, and they, they have fun. But now there are still some rules. Barrett, the middle one on Jaron's side, he, he loves, he thinks cushions in the couch are a trampoline. 
And he loves to get on the furniture. And, and boy, before I can say anything, Grandma Leah is already jumping on him, you know. Get off that couch. We don't jump on the furniture around here. So you have rules in your house, and, and it should be that way. Children are told wash before you eat supper because there ain't no, ain't no telling where their fingers have been. Wash their hands. We tell them clean up your room. And, and, and as the older they get, that gets worse. And all the parents of the teenagers said, right, but we don't want them living in a pigsty. And so we're teaching them organizational skills. We're teaching them responsibility. Here's one of my pet peeves. Chew with your mouth closed. I'm going to preach right here. Absolutely nothing spiritual about what I'm about to say. My boys were chewing with their mouth closed at two, three. My grandchildren are being taught when they come to my house. Now, of course, their parents are teaching this, but I reinforce it. Chew with your mouth closed. My youngest son still has a nightmare of a moment when he invited a friend to the house and we made spaghetti. And that little boy's parents had not taught him. I mean, I'm not talking about he was a middle schooler. They had not taught him to chew with his mouth closed. We began our meal after prayer, and I thought a cow had come in the room. And I was listening and watching this, and Evan was looking at me with pleading eyes. Don't say anything, Dad. But I couldn't help myself. And I said, son, I don't know how you do in your house, but in this house, we chew with our mouth closed. Do you understand me? If you're going to sit at this table, and he went. Oh, help me, Jesus. I've been in a restaurant. You'll see a very attractive woman, you know, just skin in the room, good-looking men as well. But you just see a woman, and she's, you know, sitting over there, and then she starts eating. There are some, I'm teaching some etiquette this morning. Is that okay? High praises. Chew with your mouth closed. Every good parent raises their children with good rules. Some homes are more permissive than others, but all families and societies impose limits on what their children could do, right? I think that's what Paul is drawing on this concept to illustrate the difference between our pre-Christian experience and our Christian experience. Hold your Bible there, whether it's physical Bible or your electronic Bible, hold it open and let me take you through this text this morning. Paul says, verse 1, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Paul was thinking of a wealthy landowner in his time. He had an heir. And though that heir of the family was marked for great wealth 
and destined to own the whole estate because he was a child. His life was regulated and managed until his father declared him old enough to handle the responsibilities of an adult. Here's the metaphor that Paul transitions to. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. See, what Paul has in mind is that this child, though he is the master of the house, technically, he is the heir, he is the son of the owner of this estate, he was told what to do by guardians and stewards. They managed the house. They ran things. Even though technically he was supposed to be over them, he wasn't ready for that. He wasn't qualified for that. And so they would tell him, eat your supper. Go wash your hands before you eat. Chew with your mouth closed. Think Downton Abbey. How many of you watched Downton Abbey? I was forced to watch Downton Abbey because several years ago, Leah got C. diff and was locked in the house, and so she binged watch for 24 hours. Downton Abbey ruled in my house. So I said, well, I'll sit down and watch Downton Abbey. If you ever watch Downton Abbey, they have all these servants, and they have a, a, a man who is sort of the manager of the house. Think that. That's what Paul is saying. Here's the metaphor. Paul is painting a picture of a sinful person, someone who's not right with God, who does not know what it means to live in the freedom that God brings. They're a slave. The Bible shows us that a sinful person is enslaved to sin. Like the guardians and the stewards telling the heir what to do, <laughs> sin dictates the sinner's life. Y'all remember when you weren't saved? Now, if there are people here who aren't saved, you don't have to remember very far back. But if you are saved, you remember when you did things, you knew you, you shouldn't do it, but you did it anyway. You said things you know that wasn't right, but you said them anyway. That's because sin was telling you what to do. And Paul makes reference that we are in bondage to the elements of the world. And I spent quite a while studying this because both biblical and non-biblical Greek sources expand on this, and there can actually be like four different explanations of what that phrase means. And I'll not trouble you with that. But I sifted through that, Pastor T. That's what we do. Pastor Terrence and I were talking about this message. I, I, I labored through this message. I sifted through this for quite a while. And when I, I'm a bottom line guy. Give me the bottom line. How many of you are bottom line people? Just boil it down for me. When, I, when you bottom line what this phrase means in both the extra biblical or biblical sources in the Greek, it basically is just a list of priorities. It's the do's and the don'ts. The do's and the don'ts. And Paul says we were in bondage to a list of things that held us. They were the do's and the don'ts. And, and the context in history is it usually has to do with religion. It's man's attempts to save himself rather than to look for God for salvation. So in other words, we are enslaved to the concept that if we just act a certain way and we do certain things, then we'll be cool with God and we'll go to heaven and everything's okay. You know, that's very popular in the world. 
Back in Paul's day, the Jews thought they could be right with God by keeping the law. They, they even created man-made laws, additional laws, to bolster their attempts at self-righteousness. It was a miserable existence. And then the Gentiles of that time thought they could be right by actually creating gods. Do you remember Roman and Greek mythology? So they manufactured gods and then built temples to them and priesthoods and offered sacrifices. And they thought that through their religion, their false religion, that somehow they could be right. They even created codes of conduct. But again, it was meaningless. It was ineffective. And I take that and I pull it into the 21st century, and I think how people still do these things today. I think how people still run to religion and practice the rituals of their religion, and they keep a set of rules, and they hope this will gain them access to God. But religion doesn't get you to God. Going to China, in the South, people have this concept that if I attend church, that gets me right with God. It doesn't. Getting right with God gets you right with God. <clears throat> people are gravely mistaken. Non-religious people, people you probably work with, they rely on worldly philosophies and ideologies to create a sense of moral authority. That's why they want to tell the church what to do. That's why they want to tell the legislators what laws to pass and what not to pass because they have the moral authority, see, because they're smarter than us. They place their faith, some people do, in blind luck. Some people are superstitious. I love the old saying, the guy said, I'm not superstitious. He said, I'm just a little stitious. But whether you're a little stitious or superstitious, people often live by luck. I've preached this to you before, but let me remind you that if you are a born-again child of God, we don't believe in karma. Don't let that word, please, come out of your mouth. Don't use it. It's not a word that we use. We don't believe in karma. Okay, we believe that we, I guess we believe what we just sang that he shall reign forevermore, forevermore. I guess we still believe that God's in charge and in control, that he's sovereign, that he's in control, that he's the righteous judge. I'm preaching right now. You just haven't figured it out yet. So clearly, Paul is saying through this little metaphor, mankind was in a dilemma. We're enslaved to sin. We're trying to fix it. We can't. What are we to do? For that matter, what is God to do? And he gives this simple answer, and it's the Christmas season. God sent Jesus. But when the fullness of time had come, we would say at just the right time. You know, I don't, I don't know in 35 years if I've ever preached this. Maybe I have once. So I thought, well, I, I, this might be a good time to preach it. A lot of preachers preach this, and I just don't know that I've, Again, I just don't know that I have. But, but if you study the world conditions when Jesus was born, it really was a ripe time for the advent of the Son of God. The Romans had conquered the civilized world, so there was order. Think back to your history books in middle school and high school or college. There was the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. There were no fights, no conflicts, again. So you could travel and do things without worry or fear 
of interruption. There were those wonderful Roman roads that were built. All, lo- all roads lead to Rome. And they built these wonderful roads, road systems, that you could travel anywhere, if you, especially if you wanted to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the, and the Romans were very tolerant of religions, very permissive, as long as it didn't cause trouble. And so you could spread the gospel without fear too much of anything happening. You ever notice when you read the book of Acts, it really wasn't the Romans that gave Paul trouble. It was always the Jews. It was the religious people. Same people that put Jesus on the cross, those people. They weren't saved, but they were religious. How many know you can be saved but not be, and be, not be saved but be religious? Greek, don't you just love to hear preachers when we talk about it in the, in the Greek language? And we, you know, we refer to that, and that's a good thing. It helps us to understand. Words have meaning. But the reason we are always talking about in the original language in the Greek is because that was the language, the shared language of the day. Now, the Jews spoke Aramaic. The Romans spoke Latin. But the Greeks had come before and had permeated the world so much with their culture that the Romans carried over Greek, and so everybody spoke Greek. So you could communicate with everybody without a translator. I'm just trying to tell you that everything was perfect for Jesus to come, and yet it wasn't. Because if you study the times, and you just read the Bible, read the Gospels, the world was in a terrible state of spiritual darkness. Again, people who weren't Jewish and didn't know God were bound up in all these false gods and false religions, very sinful, very wicked. The Jewish people had somehow created this idea. It's really an idea of salvation by works. I can work my way to God. By keeping the law. The world's religions had failed to meet the needs of men's souls. Humanity had strayed from God and was steeped in sin. Men and women desperately needed a savior. The time was right. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, Mary. Born under the law. His coming was predicted in the Old Testament. Let me give you a couple good Christmas scriptures. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Wait a minute. Did we just sing that? Didn't we just sing that? Unto us a child is born. King of kings and... See, we're singing these songs. We don't even realize we're singing scripture. For unto us a child is born. And unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Those are titles not for a mere human. Those are titles for God. Micah 5.2, the little Old Testament book of Micah 5.2. Who reads Micah? I mean, you should read Micah, but it's a good book. Micah 5.2 revealed the place of his arrival. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one, with a capital O, the one to be ruler in Israel, watch this, whose going forths are from old, from everlasting. Everybody in this room has a beginning. But there's one who doesn't. The uncaused cause. God Almighty. 
who is God from everlasting to everlasting, from eternity past to eternity future, without beginning, without end, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Come on, somebody. How many just thank God that God is who he is this morning? And that great God came to this earth as a baby, born through a birth canal of the Virgin Mary, just like every other baby brought into this world. An umbilical cord had to be cut. It's amazing, isn't it? When you really think about what happened that night in the little town of Bethlehem, he was born. His birth was a miracle birth. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. His mother Mary was a virgin, making his birth both natural and supernatural. And he came as the God-man. He was 100% God and 100% man. Jesus was one person, both divine and human. He was divine to give value to his sacrifice. He was divine to deliver us out of the realm of darkness. He was divine to usher us into the realm of light, the realm of God. And yet he was human. Why? Because it was a man who had sinned, the first Adam. So it took another man, the second Adam, to die in our place, to pay the price, to suffer what we humans should have suffered he said, I'll take it for you. To bear the penalty for our sin, to render his life to God in perfect obedience. <clears throat> when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, and that baby came with a mission. Most babies, I guess all babies are born just because they're born. It's the result of procreation, they're born. And they have to spend a good part of their life trying to figure out what it's all about. What's my purpose? One of the greatest questions of life is what is the purpose of life? But this baby came already knowing what his life was all about. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. The two key words, redeem and adoption. He came to redeem us, and he came to adopt us. Now, y'all, I'm talking about God. I'm, talking about a, I'm not talking about some earthly parents. I'm talking about the divine, the only divine being. Our creator, who we sinned against, whose name we use in vain, whose name we flippantly use, OMG and all the time, for a point of emphasis, not really giving him respect and honor. Taking what is holy and making it profane. Oh my God, did you see what, that, what happened on TV last night? Oh my God. You're not, you're not talking about God. You're just using, you might as well. You know, several years ago, I preached a message and said, why don't you just say, oh my Chris, you can use my name. I gave you my name. For a while, we had people saying, OMC, we're laughing. I'm trying to understand that he is God. You're going to have to give an account to him one day. He's real. He's 
not a figment of our imagination. Being real apologetic right now. I, the longer I live and the more things I see, and the greater science exposes the complexity of this world, I don't see a big bang. I see a divine creator. I see, I see someone way bigger than us who could put it all together and say, go search it out and see if you find me. Though Jesus, or through Jesus, God made possible a way out of sinful childishness and slavery. He made a way for you to have a right relationship with him. The little baby grew to be a man. The man was, I love this, accused of blasphemy, claiming to be God. You ever get in trouble because you actually were doing something right? He was who he said he was. And they crucified him. And he died on the cross and he shed his precious blood. And that blood was the currency that was used to redeem you from the slave market of sin. Brothers and sisters, let me just remind you, and if somebody's here today, you're not saved, boy, listen to me. When you do get right with God, when you do get saved and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, <laughs> you are delivered from the bondage of sin. It doesn't have power over you anymore. It is amazing. People who were who use profanity all the because some people profanity just becomes a, a really bad habit. It becomes filler words. But when you get saved, there is a change inside of you. And you you know there's something inside of you. I don't want to say those words anymore. That's why I can't figure out Christians who still cuss all the time. I can't figure out that because most Christians I know who did it all the time and get saved, they say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I don't, I'm not going to use the Lord's name in vain. I'm not going to use those words. He, he's, there's something different about me. You're delivered. You can do what's right, and you can say no to what's wrong. Your friends can call you and say, let's go. We're going, we're going party. We're going clubbing Friday night. And you'll say, no, not doing that. Why not? I got saved. What does that mean? Jesus has changed my life. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to wake up tomorrow morning with my head in a toilet because I drank too much. I don't want to hang around those people. They pull me down. I don't want that anymore. Y'all don't need it either. You need what I got. He changes you. He delivers you from the bondage of sin. You don't, you don't have to sin anymore. And then God adopts you as his child. Listen to me because I really want to stress this. Your legal status changes from a slave to a son or a daughter of God. And I want you to listen to me. Because sometimes people get saved, but they still live like they're a slave. Some people get saved, but in their minds... They still have a mentality, a mindset of someone who's still in bondage. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm preaching the truth. You're not a slave anymore. You've been set free. My chains are gone. I've been set free. And not only that, but God steps in immediately and says, 
I'm adopting you. Come on, get in the car. We're going home. Got a bedroom for you. Got, a, got, a, got everything you want in the bedroom. We got a refrigerator. Anything you want, it's yours. We're going to take you to school. You want to play ball? Come on, I'll take you. I'm going to take you to ball. We're going to play ball. You want to play soccer? You want to dance or something? Anything you want to do, you're my child. I'm going to love you. We say I love you. I tell you I love you. I love you. Yeah, but I was a slave. Doesn't matter. You're not a slave anymore. I love you. Yeah, but I used to be a rebel against you, but you're not anymore. I love you. Matter of fact, I loved you when you were a rebel. Because my love is not conditional. That's what God says. My love is not conditional. I loved you back then. But now that I've saved you, I love, I love you still. I don't think he can love us anymore. I just think he loves us in a different way because now we're his children. He changes. Some of you need to get a mindset that you are a child of God and stop living like you're something else. Stop letting other people beat you down. I got a Marianne story that's just coming out of me right now. Y'all all right? I've been sick all week. I, I left last Sunday, went home, and by that evening I had lost my voice and was sick as a dog. I mean, I got sick as a dog. So I'm just glad I can preach today. But years ago, I heard a youth pastor tell this story. It's a true story about Mary Ann. I think it's a great illustration. Mary Ann didn't, she was a teenager. Mary Ann didn't live right. Mary Ann didn't know anything about, didn't go to church, didn't know about God. Somebody talked her going to a church youth camp, and she went to the youth camp and got saved. First time in her life, got saved. And then they got her in the altars, and she prayed through and got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Little tongue-talking, 15-year-old teenage girl. Never been saved, never been filled with the Spirit. Summer ends, and she goes back to school. Now she's got her Bible. She's been going to church. She's living for the Lord. Her name was Marianne. And she rode to school in the car with a guy named Randy and another girl. So he, she got in. The, that's, that, was their, that was her carpool. They all lived in the same neighborhood. So she got in the car. She had her Bible. She was going to carry her Bible to school. Is that not cool? She's so saved and changed, she gets in that car, and Randy has one of those sound systems that if you open his trunk, it looks like he robbed Best Buy. Woofers and subwoofers and speakers and amps, and he went, he'd go down your street and your windows would rattle with the music. He played that hard rock music. You know, and they're just, you know, it sounds like just... And it's just, ah, and she said, well, before, she was cool with that. Listen to me. Now, little Marianne, who just got saved in the summer, it's August, we're going back to school. That doesn't, that's not sitting well with her spirit. Are you hearing me? She's, I, I don't like that anymore. That doesn't, that, she said, Randy, turn it down. I don't like that. She, he said, turn it down. I'm turning it up. He cranked it up even more. And she said somewhere in her short little time when she was saved that some youth pastor taught her that if you pray, God will hear your prayers. So this is a true story. So very simply, little brand new saved Mary Ann said, Jesus, and she prayed it out loud. She hadn't learned about silent prayer yet. She said, Jesus, destroy Randy's sound system. That was her prayer, verbatim. God answered her prayer. Whole thing just shut down. 
Randy pulls over the side of the road. Forget school. He's got the trunk open. He's pu pulling plugs, pushing things, trying to fix. He cannot get that thing to work anymore. He is getting frustrated. And then little Miss Tattletail in the back seat says, Randy, I know what happened to your sound system. Mary Ann was in the back seat, had her Bible open, and she prayed, and she asked God to destroy your sound system. And Randy, true story, gets in her face and says, is that right? And she's so new to the face, she says, yeah, <laughs> guess I did. He screams at her. He's cussing at her, yelling at her. She's cowering under that. I mean, he's a believer. He's believing that she did it. And she's just cowering, and, and it's just overwhelming. She's feeling like back when she was a slave. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost on this when the Holy Spirit inside of her rose up and said, you don't have to take this. Don't you take this. And all of a sudden, that meek little girl who was a slave, who's now a daughter of God, some power and something rose up inside of her that was not Marianne before Christ. And she said, Randy, stop. And it took him back that he stopped. And she said, if you don't get in that car and take me to school, I'm going to ask God to do to you what he did to your sound system. True story. She hadn't figured it all out yet. They said, Randy, shut up, got in the car, and drove her to school and never said another word. I, that wasn't in my notes, but I feel the Holy Ghost right now. And that's when preachers are really good, when we start feeling the Holy Ghost leading us. Somebody in this house needed to hear this. You stop cowering like a, you're a slave. You stop living like what you used to be. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You belong to Jesus. You are an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Everything that is his belongs to you. You have the power of God. God is for you. Jesus is with you. The, the Holy Ghost is inside of you. The angels are all around you act like who you are throw your head back square your shoulders up you're a child of the king that's what he did for us that's why he came in that manger I've been preaching a while I got one person told me keep preaching so I'm going to do it Can I give you some final thoughts and I'll be fast? These are just final thoughts, just things I wanted to share. Here's the things that just come to me. Jesus came to us because we could not come to him. Most sinners know they can't get to God. Most sinners don't want to get to God. They run from God. But You get, you get some religious folks that, that aren't saved, but they think, and I've heard this, they think, well, I, I can get to God. And that's why we make religions. And that's why I've heard people say, well, I, there are people I can't get to come to church. There are people that, anyway. And they'll say to me, well, God and I have an understanding. And I'm like, oh, really? Enlighten me. Something beyond the word of the living God, I take it. Can you just help me here? It's not an understanding. You've just created something to justify you not coming to church or give, more than that, to give your life to Jesus. Some people think they can make a way or find a way to God. You can't. Lee and I had this conversation this week. 
I don't know, something was said. And she sat down, and she does this to me sometimes. She said, I want to ask you something. <clears throat> she said, you've preached that, that you can't get to, to the Lord, that the Lord has to come looking for you. She said, you know, I just had not heard that. She said, you've preached it. She said, I just don't know if I still understand that. I said, okay. I said, let's look at it this way. I said, let's take Christmas. I said, there's a church around here that has on their marquee, their sign, wise men still seek him. And that's a great little phrase. And I, I understand what they're trying to say. And it's probably on a Christmas card that you've either sent or received. I understand that. But the preacher in me says, no, they don't. Wise men don't seek him. There is no wisdom in us. We don't seek him. I know the wise men came from afar. And if you're from the south, that's not a fire. That's a far. Okay, a long distance. But the wise men came. I understand all that, but they were directed by God. It was part of the whole orchestrated event by Jesus. But, but it's, I understand. But look, you know why the wise men sought him? Because there was a star. They didn't just say, you know what? We're tired of this Eastern Oriental religion that we're in. Let's go find Jesus. Let's go bring him gifts and let's get saved. They didn't even know what that was. But they studied the stars and suddenly there was one that didn't fit on all the maps. And it was moving. And it said, follow me and I'll take you somewhere you need to go. And it was divine. It was God seeking. Are you getting this? It was God seeking them. Bringing them. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit does? He seeks us. When I was, when I was young, I remember when, anybody remember gospel tracks? Back in the 70s, man, they were everywhere. Find them in the bathroom, on the counter, at a restaurant. You can find them everywhere. Little gospel tracks. And there was one that I really liked. I liked Holy Joe. That was my favorite one. Anybody remember Holy Joe? About, about a soldier. But, but the, the best one of all, and you can Google this and find it, it, it was just sort of cartoonish. It had a canyon with, with a side over here and a side over here, and it's just a big chasm, a big canyon. And it had a man here, and it had God here, and in big letters it said, Sin. You can't get to him. Well, that's a, that's a track. That's not, prove it. Your sins have separated you from your God. That's what the Bible says. Just go to Genesis. Adam and Eve was with him, and then they sinned, and what did he do? He kicked them out and put an angel with a sword that said, you can't get to him. Right there in the beginning. You can't get. Then what are we to do? He'll come to you. And that's what he does. And the rest of the track is then they show the cross. And the horizontal beam on the cross fills in the canyon. And it says Jesus. And the point is Jesus comes to you to make a way. That's why when he died on the cross, 
and they ripped open his side that the veil in the temple, which said essentially the same thing. The Ark of the Covenant is back there, but nobody can get there except the high priest and only because God lets him, but nobody can get to God. And the day Jesus died, finished his mission, God reached down and grabbed the temple and ripped it in half and exposed the Holy of Holies. It's in the Bible. Read it. And that was, a, that was an object lesson from God that says, whosoever will may come. Because my son is the way, the truth, and the life. But he still has to draw you. Like a shepherd looking for a lost sheep, Jesus comes to you to bring you to the Father. When I was... I was a young man, we used to sing this song that he came to me. I won't try to sing it, but it, the verse says, The gulf that separated me from Christ my Lord. It was so vast, the crossing I could never ford. From where I was to his demands, it seemed so far. I, I cried, Dear Lord, I cannot come to where you are. And the chorus says, But he came to me. He came to me when I could not come to where he was. He came to me. That's why he died. On Calvary, when I could not come to where he was, he came to How many of you remember the day, the night, the afternoon, the morning, when he came to you and found you and saved you? Give him praise in this house. Give him praise the day he found you. Hallelujah. I love this. Second thought, God sent forth his son to save you. But when he saves you, if you don't watch it, you'll miss this. God sends forth the spirit of his son. He sent Jesus to save you. But when you get saved, there's another sending. He sends the spirit inside. I'm not going to take up a lot of time there, but he really is Emmanuel, God with us. I don't have to go to church on Sunday to find him. And I don't leave him here when I get, go out of the parking lot. He's right here. Emmanuel. And I wrote this. I'm going to go to the third point quit. The first advent was when he was born in Bethlehem. But there was a second advent, at least for me. And that was the day I was born again, and he came to live inside of me. He didn't come to a manger. He came into my heart. I'm so glad he came. How about you? Hallelujah. Give him praise. Musicians, come on, and I'll close with this. This is very evangelistic. I'm really, I'm really speaking now to people who don't know Jesus. This is the last thought that for me I want to bring to you today on this Sunday. It's a very important day today. I appreciate you letting me preach and share with you. Everything, I told you, everything was perfect for Jesus' arrival to this earth. Remember that? Everything was just, but everything doesn't have to be perfect for Jesus to show up in your life. As a matter of fact, the reality is, remember I told you the world was in a terrible condition? Here, here, here's what I want to say to anybody or those watching online. There'll be maybe people who watch this later. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you might have the most adorable, awesome, knight in shining armor for a husband or a trophy wife. Your kids may be the most unbelievable, perfect little children who never give you problems and make straight A's. 
You might be an entrepreneur whose business has exploded or you're climbing the corporate ladder and you're the favored son in your organization or daughter. You may have degrees and education out the yin-yang and you can understand deep philosophical concepts and use large three and four and five and six syllable words. You can feel like you've got it all together. You go to the YMCA and work out and health-wise you are as fit as you've ever been in your life. You're connected with all the right people. You've got more money in the bank than you know what to do with. You've got it together. Life is perfect, but that's not your soul. That's stuff. Those are material things. And time and age and and traumas can wipe all of that out. Right now, your life seems perfect. I don't need God. Yes, you do. You just don't know it. Because you're looking through lens of things in this life, but you're not looking. You know in your soul, you know in your spirit, you're miserable. You know in your heart that if you died right now, you'd split hell wide open. Somebody else would get everything that you have. So while everything may seem perfect, it's not. The reason I can say that is because all of us in this room were saved. We were there once. We were there once. We've been there. But here's what we found out. I want you to find out that when he comes to you, even though you're a mess, here's the point. Even though your life is a a mess, he'll come to you. He'll show up. He'll clean up your mess. He'll change your life. He'll wash you and transform you. He'll revolution. He'll pull you in close to him. He'll give you a fresh start. Again, don't, don't be like people who say, well, I'll get saved when I'm good and ready. No, you'll get saved when God is good and ready. When He comes to you, that's when the time is right. How do I know that? You'll get saved because He'll prepare your heart and your soul. When He comes to you, you will be keenly aware of your sinfulness. When He comes to you, you will have a desperation for the need of a Savior. You'll cry out to Him. You will experience the powerful blend of conviction and God's love pulling you to the cross. What do I do, Pastor? You humble yourself and you ask Him to forgive you. And you place your trust in His atoning work on the cross and you give your life to Him and He'll save you. And He'll change your life forever. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.